Hey there, and welcome to another fortnightly episode of War Starts at Midnight. I'm Chris Gallagher. I'm Jacob Graves. On today's show, we have a very special war crimes review of the 1975 Academy Award winner, The Godfather, Part 2. Plus, we'll tally the results from Week 8 and 9 in our Fantasy Movie League Roundup. Then, from one of the top-tier sequels of all time to the lowest of the low, listen as we each nominate our picks for the title of Worst Sequel Ever. And finally, we will wrap up the show as we always do with some really rad recommendations. But first... Jake, we need to talk about Kevin. Oh no, is Kevin here? Midnight Warriors, we are joined in the War Bunker today by our friend, our... uh, college colleague kevin kissling he is uh currently in town from from los angeles and uh I, I i thought i thought you meant the kevin from the movie i i was gonna put on my anti anti-archery jacket <laughs> no uh kevin welcome welcome to the war bunker hey thanks for having me here and this is a very sunny bunker yeah yeah, yeah. well we we funnel light in through a series of uh, refracted tubes and uh, periscopes. Yeah. Periscopes. Yeah. Uh, I hear. I hear. If you take the uh, amulet of Ra and you put it on a uh, staff at the window, you uh-huh. figure out exactly where you're supposed to. Uh, whatever happened in that movie? <laughs> whatever uh-huh. happened in that movie? Have you seen that movie, Jake? Yeah, I've seen that movie. I, I, is that how he figured out how to get out of there? No, that's oh. where he found out like the next like like key to the treasure. That's, that's right. That that yeah. identified Jake. You need to rewatch Raiders of the Lost Ark. I've seen like, it like I've seen it like eight months ago in at uh, a Cinemark like re- rescreening of it. And you yet. just blacked out. Uh, I uh, I'm like Kevin. I sleep through most movies. So I, I I've gotten to the point where I won't go to a movie in the cinema past nine o'clock. Also, I said cinema, and I'm so sorry. The movie theater. Uh, I won't go to. I won't see a movie in the theater past nine. Preferably, it's an afternoon. Mm-hmm. Preferably, um, if it's an evening showing, before 8 o'clock. Out of fear of just, like, falling There's asleep. a little model town, and it shows where he needs to dig at. I remember. <laughs> oh, I remember. <laughs> that was not go. Google. Ah, Jake's, Jake's, I, not I even, Jake's not even paying attention Thanks, to this conversation. Jake. I really appreciate <laughs> I'm, that. I'm actually sort of the opposite. Like, yeah. I, it's hard for me to start a movie past, like, 10 at home. Uh-huh. Um, particularly, like... I feel like I always want to put on like like a Truffaut movie or something, yeah. and I'm like, oh, I don't want to read. Wait, you want to put it on, Kevin? Oh, I know. Kevin. Uh, yeah, I'm just yeah. trying to rile you up to get like good conversation. <laughs> yeah, man. I mean, what's, like antagonize you off the bat. What's What's better than watching the man who loved women? You know, at, yeah. at ten thirty at night. Um, okay, that sounds like a different kind of movie at ten thirty at night. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm actually like Kevin though. If, if If somebody's like wants to see a movie and it's past seven. I'm like, ah, oh, but I'm going to be up so late. What? Yeah. See, what what I was going to say is if I see it in the theater, I find that I'm engaged and yeah. I just like block out any sort of sleepiness. Yeah. But if I'm at home, yeah. it's all like surrounds me and it's just like, that's why I've seen a ton of movies halfway through. Yeah. Yeah. Um, For me, it's both. And to be very honest, the only movie that I've been able to like be like fully engaged with the entire time. Like I saw a bunch of like midnight movies in college, mm-hmm. which I don't know why I did, because I'd make it the first forty five minutes and then pass out was well, that's because Road you, Warrior. Speaking yeah. of sequels. Yeah. Was yeah. Road Warrior. I, I I thought I thought for some reason it was gonna be like the only movie I can get through is heavyweights. <laughs> that's it. Every other movie I lose interest. Uh, Kevin, I've I've got a question for you. Were you by chance hanging out with one John Lesby seeing these midnight movies? Yeah, yeah, most of them probably were. Okay, like and, and, him and had you been drinking Steel Reserve, and was it <laughs> was it orange soda? Yeah, he it, I, we did. 
Yeah. Yeah, that was a nightmare. I don't know what we were thinking. We were very dumb college kids. <laughs> yeah. Um, maybe maybe that's why you were falling asleep. Yeah, <laughs> that might have been. Also, I just get so tired. Malt liquor and sugar. <laughs> malt liquor. Oh, that's a really fine malt liquor. We have very different college experiences, Kevin. The only drink I made in college was um, one part whole milk, one part Funyuns, and it's called oh, Funyun God. cereal. And <laughs> that is a story for another time. Oh, yeah, we did hang out in college. I don't know why. Yeah, because you were young little pibsqueak. Yeah, probably. Oh. I mean, what you you guys are only a, a year, grade above. Yeah, us. just a year older. But I I didn't yeah. really hang out with you until like I did my like little half victory lap. Yeah, and and it was like holy holy shit these these younger kids they they get around and they <laughs> they do some stuff. Yeah, they do some weird wacky things. We had no parties like that going on. Oh god, those parties were so fun. They and were. I, I fear that the film department doesn't have it like they uh, i don't i don't think they do i'm teaching yeah. those kids and they don't they don't seem like they're hanging out like like we did yeah ah those are good times <laughs> all right well kevin we're not here to reminisce on you know the old times the college days we're here to uh you know dig dig a little bit at some of your your deepest darkest secrets so folks stay tuned as we've got a review of kevin's personal war crime the godfather part two coming up next don vito corleone and his son michael both had seen the ones they loved most cut down before their eyes. Both had killed as an act of vengeance. Both commanded the most powerful and merciless crime organization in the world. Is it true that in the year 1950, you devised the murder of the heads of the so-called five families in New York? It's a complete falsehood. They would take any measures. I mean, you've won. You want to wipe everybody out? I don't feel I have to wipe everybody out, Tom. It's just my enemies. Make any arrangement. Michael, we're bigger than U.S. Steel. Order any death. To protect the empire they controlled. The Godfather and his heir. Both were men of ice, and both were targets. Every so often, we like to own up to our cinematic sins on the show by discussing a seminal film from the past that one of us has somehow overlooked. These reviews are shamefully dubbed our war crimes. This time, however, we're trying something a little different. We've invited Kevin on the show to gang up on him and berate him for one of his personal filmic faux pas. So, Kevin, you are here to discuss Godfather Part 2, which until about a week ago you had never seen. So, how did this happen and why why was this the film that you thought would be the perfect war crime to discuss? Uh for the past few years I've been trying to do like the AFI Top 100, mm-hmm. just to, like get I don't know, I feel like so many people are talking about movies that I just never seen before that like they're just part of the cultural conversation. And so I've been trying to work my way on the top 100. And I actually remember seeing a snippet of Godfather Part 2 like six years ago on like a Saturday afternoon. And mm-hmm. like I was like flipping through the channels and uh, I turned it on and my mom was like, oh, this is Godfather Part 2. And I'm like, oh, I've never seen it. And she went like, what? Really? Which is just like kind of funny. We, we have very different mothers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My mom had has, has seen it. And I remember just being like, oh, man, like mom's seen it like i should probably watch it fast forward like six years and i am going down the list and just really cherry picking mostly Mm -hmm. of like skipping a lot of stuff and then (laughs) or like cherry picking and also like whatever is like streaming for free Mm -hmm. 
and I saw Godfather a few years ago with uh, another college buddy, Ben Hauser. We made pasta and drank red wine and uh, watched The Godfather. <laughs> Ate a cannoli. Uh, yeah, no, no cannoli. No, they left, actually. They left the left. gun, they took the cannolis. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. Um, so we did that, and then I saw it again in the theater, like, I guess it that had been not last year, but the year before. And so whenever you asked me to be on the show to do this mm-hmm. i was like looking through the list and um i threw some hitchcock out that i haven't seen and mm-hmm. then i saw this and i was like yeah why not and i also did not think it was a like what 320 yeah no yeah. i had i had no idea until we had already said okay we're gonna do godfather yeah. part two because jake and i discussed and we were like well that's also one that we'd like to go back and revisit it's yeah. been a while and in my in the back of my mind it was like oh that movie's like two and a half hours yeah like I thought the Godfather was like two two fifteen and, mm-hmm. and this was like two and a half two forty five yeah and then when I looked it up afterwards I was like oh man yeah I better get to work immediately I I, st- I still think this plays a lot like a two and a half hour movie for me I, I it it didn't feel like it dragged on but we there's can... there is a lot of content that it gets through mm-hmm. in, in a you know still in the in in the time that it has. Um, so I'd like to kick off this conversation by sort of discussing, you know, I, I often been bemoan the announcement of seemingly unnecessary sequels or prequels uh, to successful Hollywood films. The Godfather Part Two is both of those things at the same time. Um, my question to you is this. Rhetorically, is this a film that deserves to exist or is it just a proto Hollywood cash grab that just wastes two and a half hours of our time? And Jake, why are the drapes open? I like that Kevin set this one up at the top by mentioning the uh, open windows in the war bunker. Good job. Mm-hmm. You're mm-hmm. getting the hang of this uh, whole podcasting thing, Kevin. Thank you. Thank you. Wow. That's what we call a callback. Ooh. <laughs> Chris, do you really even need to ask the question of, is this a film that deserves to exist? Is, I mean, isn't it kind of obvious how great this film is after watching it? I mean, I, I'm open to a contrarian observation. Uh, if one exists. So yeah. let me, let me just ask you, Kevin, what, what did you think now, now that the burden is off your shoulders, <laughs> you've seen all of the Godfather movies that exist. Yeah. yeah, yep. None. Both two of them. Yeah. Both, both, both of the Godfather films that exist. Uh, what did you think was, how does this, uh, how does this kind of man up to the original? Do you think it works? Do you think it's, it, I mean, like I said, does it deserve to exist? I, I, I find it interesting that you're like, is this the proto Hollywood cash cow? Because that is so true. Because whenever I I didn't really have too much information about the movie, I thought it was always planned as two mm-hmm. with the conversation in between as yeah. like a brief like palate cleanser. Know. Yeah, exactly. Well, and this came out the same year as the conversation. Really? Yeah. Oh, he made it. Um, he yeah, made- it, 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 yeah, I'm sure it did. Yeah, um, yeah. It, it took, this I'm one, sure this, someone can Google that and yeah, find yeah. out that that is true. But yeah, they both they both came out in '74. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so like in my head, I always thought that these were planned together as a sequel because I always heard it as Godfather Part One, Godfather Part Two. So, well, and they're only two years apart. Yeah, yeah, and like seemingly a lot of sequels now are like what, like five years ish, maybe four, something like that, or or in their, or the next month. Yeah, and yeah, so or they're shot at the same time. Yeah, exactly. Which I then that then I think it would deserve to exist if it was shot at the same time. You know. Because I think that's a whole different beast, right? Because it's, it's but, intended as a as yeah, a piece, yeah, yeah, as a separate piece. So, yeah, that's really interesting to think of it as that proto thing. So, I 
after watching it, yeah, I do think it deserves to exist. And um, it's just interesting how much of a different movie it is than the first one. Yeah. Like, I rewatched the second half of it again after, like, I watched it, and then I rewatched the end of it. Mm-hmm. And I kind of had different uh, views after after doing that. Like you, like you shifted when you Yeah, I kind of shifted. After I finished it the first time, I didn't like it. I was like, what? You didn't like it as a whole? You didn't like the way it ended? I didn't like it as a whole, I think. Like, like, totally everything. Everything. Like, granted, there's some, like, great, there's great parts of it. But, like, overall, I was like, ah, whatever. Like, what, three hours, 20 minutes, down the tubes. (laughs) Um, And because I was like, God, that was such a depressing movie. And it felt like. Like the first one had such a great arc to it, mm-hmm. such a great transformation. Well, the first it, one, the first one is so seventies. Yeah, in like because you spend what fifteen to twenty minutes in that opening wedding scene, yeah, and there's no real drive behind it, yeah. but it's all setting up. Really, relate? Yeah, no, I, I don't think there's like, or it's, it's very, it's a very subtle touch. It, ve- yeah. it feels very seventies. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, like, totally. You don't by twenty minutes in, you don't know like. Oh, this is where the movie is going. Yeah, that's that's what I mean by no no yeah. real drive. Um, and and it just sort of like it lingers, but it doesn't linger in a way that feels mm-hmm. sort of like where where are we going? It's more like immersive. I feel like this yeah. movie um, mm-hmm. throws you directly in more, and I think partially because I think it assumes well, you know these characters. Yeah. Right? Oh, totally, totally. And, and yeah. so it it jumps in with a more driven arc mm-hmm. um, to it. But I don't know. I think, I think the case could be made that uh, in, in some ways that is a little, uh, a little disruptive to what was nice about, about the original Jake jump in here. Yeah. What, what do you, I mean, this movie still opens up with a, a party scene, which is still seventies. It's not, not the wedding. Right. It doesn't strictly open with it. I guess it opens, um, First with the shot of Michael Corleone kissing someone's hand, showing he's a godfather. Then right. it goes a to chair. Italy. Yeah, a chair. And then it goes to <laughs> Italy where it covers the, you know, long time ago. How Yeah, sets, sets up, okay, yeah. this is the Vito storyline that we're going yeah. to follow through. And then it comes back to, uh, I think it's a baptism or something. Yeah. Yeah. And the whole party that goes with that. So it still has that. And this time Michael's playing the role essentially that his father did in the last movie where people are coming to him asking him things on... Yeah. Let let me let me ask you this. What do you guys think of? There's several moments in part two that echo part one. Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. And I'm just going to say, like, we're going to, you know, focus on part two. But because they're so closely related, Mm -hmm. I don't I don't think you can have the conversation about part two alone without part one. Yeah. Yeah. So quick roll call. Who watched part one before watching it this time? I I did. did. Both of us. Yeah. Okay. I did not. And I part part of uh, part of what I wanted to do was uh, uh, see how I thought about this movie more divorced from the last time I've seen The Godfather because it's been a while. Uh-huh. And also the uh, copy of The Godfather was checked out of the... <laughs> <laughs> also, Good excuse. I, I came up with an excuse after I figured out The Godfather was checked <laughs> Exactly. Out. You didn't have to tell us that. I'm very happy that you're so forward. Um, um, is this where we turn off his mic? <laughs> uh, and just don't yeah, tell just, him just us yeah like he'll he'll think that he's, he's adding but he's, he's not I'll, I'll just cut him out later in post um uh but so how do you guys think those those sort of callbacks work do they work does it 
um, or does it does it get in the way of the story? Like, so we've got we've got that baptism mm-hmm. scene, which is like the wedding. We've got probably my favorite scene in part two, actually, when when Vito is going after the Black Hand, um, and it's going back and forth between him going after the Black Hand and the parade festival yeah. going on outside. Oh, that was awesome. Which which mirrors a lot the baptism in the first film mm-hmm. with the spoilers for the Godfather, um, the murdering of the heads of the other five families. I thought that um. Uh, whenever he's uh, shit killing everyone at the end of part part two of part two, mm-hmm. I thought that was a much more um, the montage of of um, whenever the assassination attempts on uh, Roth and mm-hmm. um, yeah yeah I thought that was a much more like mirror of uh, him going after the five heads or the interesting the, yeah. and, and maybe maybe it is it's mm-hmm. just, like the it was the it was the editing style yeah. that I. That I felt because it yeah, because it's I, constantly that's the one part of the part two I thought worked you know like uh, an order of magnitude better in part one was mm-hmm. the the five the killing of the five heads was way better than what happened in part two but also I felt way worse about watching what happened in part two I feel like yeah. part two is like really what it should have been is part one is what part one is part two is really down you know your Empire Strikes Back. And then part three, which I, I believe they had planned initially as being about uh, Tom, about uh, Robert oh, Duvall's character. Yeah, really? That, that would actually be way more interesting than that movie that doesn't exist. Yeah, oh, what, I believe what happened is he didn't sign on or he wanted too much money or something happened and they ended up making it about okay. who, whoever else they made Sophia it about. Sophia Coppola is what they made it about, right? Yeah, that's I, heard. That's, I think so. Um, hmm. But uh, and I could see that being like a more uplifting like ending to it. This one I think works really well as a tragedy because it, yeah. it it essentially is a tragedy. It's Michael losing everything he cares about. Well, and I I think Is the, it? Well, yeah, I I I read it kind of the same way because I think I think the mirror of yeah. the two so you've got you've got the setup of of where Vito comes from, which yeah. I think like initially I'm always hesitant to these sorts of things where yeah. it's like we have this established yeah. thing, now we're going to show you where it came from. You yeah. know, it's like it's like the Pat Oswald stand up bit uh, talking about the prequels and it's mm-hmm. like, oh you Yeah. You love you love Anakin Skywalker? Well let me let me show you him. He's just a little boy. You love ice cream? Here's some rock salt and some ice. Yeah. Um like you you run the risk of doing that. But I think what I'm I'm kind of on the same track as you, Jake. Like the arc of so showing Vito escaping this terrible uh, sort of like he if he does not get out of Sicily, he's not going to survive. Yeah, it's it's this terrible cycle of just men with power killing other men who might gain power. Mm-hmm. And then he comes to America and he is a bootstrapping self-made man. He is, you know, thought to be dumb and quiet and stupid, which actually ends up being a bit of a uh, a weapon that he can use. Yeah, um, because he's he's actually observant and smart. Mm-hmm. But he he ends up building up an empire for his family mm-hmm. um, so that they are. They are now sort of out of that, um, out of the squalor. They they can live comfortably. But then the means by which he got there kind of create this cycle. Yeah. That then put Michael, even though he's on top, mm-hmm. puts him back in the same place that Vito was as a young boy. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and and is the only reason that Vito succeeded Michael failed. Let's look at them and say they're kind of the same just right now because mm-hmm. – um, the wife's name. What's her name? Uh, Kay? Diane Keaton. Yeah, Kay. Um, Kay said, this is a cycle that you Sicilian men have had going for 2,000 years. Yeah. Well, Vito 
only got to succeed because he came to America and had no family. Okay, so he built his crime family, had his own family, had none of those ties. Michael is tied to Fredo and all these other people that came before him and insults to the family and insults to him and all this stuff. And his pride is his downfall and his need for revenge and all these things. But that's something that Vito did not have, which is set up at the beginning of the movie and is contrasted against each other throughout the film. Yeah, that's kind of how I read it. Yeah, I I I think Michael and Vito just have different views of what family is mm-hmm. and what loyalty is and i think they're just so vastly different like vito is so much more caring and thoughtful whereas michael he starts off that way and changes in the first film and doesn't really change at all in the second film like it it's like just a slight character art towards him being more and more selfish and mm-hmm. but like i thought that was so interesting because throughout the flashbacks you show vito Always being like, oh, I'm, I'm good to my friends. Ask my friends. Like, I will remember this. And he yeah. always seems so kind and generous and then murders people. And thoughtful. And thoughtful. And like... Within within the context of what his yeah. world is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Very, you know, like, he seemingly wants to do right by people and to also um, elevate himself. Whereas Michael, I he, he got in in a different way where, like, you know... Well, he didn't. He also wasn't. Yeah. It wasn't that he wanted to be the Godfather. No, he just sort of by you know by the way things you know by the way things were laid out mm-hmm. in part one, um, with you know his father dying and him being like you know it it took huge circumstances to yeah. push him in. But then once he was in, he was in for life. Yeah, um, I think this movie is about control and how Michael exercises so much control over everything that he loses it. He holds on so tightly to everything. Uh, let me let me ask this. I think I think Kevin's on to something with because I, I felt this as well. Like they're trying to make it a um you know a Michael because Michael kind of transforms into not such a great guy. Yeah. Um you yeah. don't you don't see him in the same light that you see you know when when Vito dies in part one, it's mm-hmm. tragic. Yes. Like and it's and and it's such a like intimate little moment of him with the grandson. Mm-hmm. Um, and you don't, you don't really get anything like that with Michael. Um, do you feel like I, I felt going in this time that um, it felt like they were trying to make Michael a more introspective sort of character, like looking at like, mm-hmm. I'd never meant to get here, but now I am here. And so I have to be strong. Yeah. But I didn't find that totally effective. What do you, what do you guys think? I think the shot at the end of the movie, so the the last two scenes, I guess, in the movie, mm-hmm. we, we see the flashback to all of them at the dinner table on their dad's birthday, mm-hmm. and the brothers does that, call. Does that work for you guys? 100%. Yeah, I liked it. I, I don't like it. Okay. <sighs> okay, so they're, they're at that flashback, and we see a couple uh-huh. things there. We see Fredo is the only one who embraces Michael's decision to go and serve his country. Mm-hmm. That that's mm-hmm. number one, which I think Michael is thinking back on these things. And number two, um, we see Michael saying, "I'm going to choose my family and my patriotic duty over. Um, I'm going to choose uh, over my family. I'm going to choose my patriotic duty to go off and fight this war against the wishes of my dad and all this other stuff." Mm-hmm. So we see, you know, a couple scenes before that, he's lying in Congress. He's the head of a crime family. So that's really Michael thinking back on all of those things. We see a shot of him in his dad's arms as a kid waving out the window. Mm-hmm. And then we see Michael just sort of staring off, thinking about what he's become. Yeah, I think staring into the lake. 
Yeah, it it's it's a completely um it's a complete tragedy about Michael and I think he uh, losing Fredo especially is just him thinking back on life at the end of the movie. And I think it I think it really works for me. Okay. I can I can actually give you that. I just feel like I I feel like you can tell that that's what Coppola is going for, but mm-hmm. I I feel like it's not throughout the entire the entire piece, the entire film. And, and there's yeah. little, like, I don't know. I feel like Michael is a little uneven as far as like, mm-hmm. he should be more of a, I feel like I should understand more about him than I do. He's mostly informed by what I learned about him in the, in part one. Yeah. I feel. Whereas, um, Vito, like, I, I feel like he's very well rounded. I fully understand mm-hmm. who he is, what his motivations are. And there's, there's little things like, it's not like he's flat. I do think I like, I think it's interesting when they're in Havana and, mm-hmm. Um, they're sort of building this tension of like him realizing that maybe things are going to go wrong with the rebels and, and all these things when he's in the taxi and he sees the guy, um, blow himself up with the grenade. Yeah. That's a really powerful scene. Mm -hmm. Um, but there's just not over the course of three and a half hours, there's just not quite enough of exploring that for me. But do you think, uh, how 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 do you think the movie would play? And did it change the story completely if we did have like what we're saying this like introspective like reveal at the end? If that started halfway through the movie, like the movie would look totally different. The actions would be different, and like it seems like it's too little, too late. Well, I, I think that if it came during the movie, Michael couldn't mm-hmm. have made the decisions that he made. Yeah, yeah, and the and the plot would be different. Well, or. Or would it have been? See, in my in my perspective, I feel like those decisions would have been so much stronger, so much harder because you yeah. you see the inner conflict yeah. of him being like, "I've come this far, who have I turned into?" But I have to be strong for my family. Yeah, and I don't make think these he decisions. has any of those doubts. That uh, like as a character, I don't think he does. I think he's one hundred percent in and believes he's doing what he's doing for the familia, uh, you know, the the crime family. Right. First and no, foremost, no, no, not, not a crime family. They, their, their business is gambling and olive oil and properties. Uh, right, all, right. Obviously. Olive oil. <laughs> what, what did you guys, what did you, you guys think of Fredo? What's your opinion of Fredo in this film? He said there was something in it for me, on my own. I've always taken care of you, Fredo. Taking care of me? You're my kid brother, and you take care of me. Did you ever think about that? Huh? Did you ever once think about that? Send Fredo off to do this. Send Fredo off to do that. Let Fredo take care of some Mickey Mouse nightclub somewhere. Send Fredo to pick somebody up at the airport. I'm your older brother, Mike, and I was stepped over. That's the way Pop wanted it. It ain't the way I wanted it. I can handle things. I'm smart. Not like everybody says. Like dumb. I'm smart and I want respect. The the scene whenever he's like laying down in the chair, you know, and how like everyone calls him stupid, everyone calls him dumb, and no one like no one trusts him. I'm smart. Yeah, yeah I'm not yeah. dumb. Like, I'm smart. Yeah, which is funny because that's what people called his dad. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. and then like with him with Roth of like he was just trying to like wet his beak and get part of the action, which no one has ever let him. Right. Which was well, like, you know, like. Can you blame the guy? Of course you can blame the guy. He really, really screwed stuff up. But, like, it was just this, like, no one has ever trusted him with power so that every little... I don't think he... He did betray the family through his actions, but I don't think he knew he was doing it. 
I I agree. I yeah, do think yeah. I, I also think Fredo's probably the most tragic character in yes. any of this. Because yeah. if you consider if you consider Fredo is really the reason why Michael is the head of the family now. Yeah, yeah. Because he yeah. fumbles with that gun when his father gets shot at the you know at the fruit stand. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and there's like watching Watching that again this time, I really like – you can just see – and what – John – I always get his name wrong. John, John Cazale. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, he's so good at playing that very delicate kind of like best intentions, but he's he's almost a Job-type character that mm-hmm. just – he can never do anything quite right. And he fumbles with the gun and you know doesn't even get a shot off as, as the guys take off. Yeah. And, and so that – He doesn't call the cops or like an ambulance, you know? Not well, it, obviously not the cops, but like right. tries to get help for yeah. his dying dad. Yeah, but so that mirroring then what he does, what he unwittingly does to Michael yeah. with Roth. Um, I there's there is a nice bit of tragedy there. Yeah, in, and John Cazale, who died unfortunately very young, turned yeah. in some great performances while he was alive. All he of was his performances in Dog Day great. Afternoon, the conversation, both Godfathers, and I even liked his part in the Deer Hunter, which yeah. is a movie that I did not enjoy. Also, I think that either of these Godfather movies could have turned into the Deer Hunter with poor direction. I think we need to talk about Francis Ford Coppola's direction. Okay, yeah. Mm -hmm. What do you got? Um, Did you think – first off, did you think he did a great job with the actors – how did you think he handled all the actors? I, I think in general, he's he's pretty fantastic. I think, I mean, I think he's got a stellar lineup here, too. Yeah. Like, I mean, you look from from top to bottom, I mean, from De Niro and Pacino down to Duvall and uh, Kazale, like, and, and, mm-hmm. uh, and Kay, um, um, I'm Diane, Keaton. Diane Keaton, like, they're Even all. Even Talia Shire as the, um, as the sister. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I I do feel like Diane Keaton maybe gets Kay gets a little short shrift in this one. Yeah, she's not a she's a less well rounded character here than she is in in the first one. I feel, and that's I think that's so with too. like a section where she's not even included because he's off in Italy. Yeah, Michael's off in Italy. Um, did did you gasp when he hits her? Oh man, like I totally forgot about that. Yeah, that it, is like a solid a solid hit. That it is. Was, it was Ooh. rough. Yeah. Yeah. That, um, I, I think he did a great job with the actors. Do you think he structured this film correctly? Do you think it with the with the flashbacks and all that's hard to handle and transition between them? Do you think he did a good job with that? I I think so. Like, I don't know how else you would have been able to do it other than like the first half was the first half, the second half was the second half. And then I don't think it would work as well. Yeah. And like, I don't want to go back and say, oh, he should have slipped the scene in between that mm-hmm. scene. Well, I don't want to like re-edit it. You know, movie. they actually have created like the Godfather saga, which is everything in chronological order. Oh, interesting. Um, it's it was on HBO a while back. It was like eight hours long or something. <laughs> it seems like it. Um, Speaking yeah, of think- HBO, I, I I I wanted to talk about today. Yes, you could still make these as movies, but do you think today that this script, as long as it is, it's a miniseries. Deep yeah, as it, yeah. It would have been a, it would have been on HBO as a miniseries. Hundred percent. Yeah. I don't think I. I'm glad that didn't happen. Like, I well, like miniseries, but I think it's going to start taking away from like having an epic movie. Maybe, but maybe. I mean, you might be right, but who's going to see it? Who like who would turn out to see this movie today? I don't I, like. I, I don't think. Know. I mean, this is and this is a case to go back mm-hmm. to the original question of mm-hmm. like sequel being made. Like, this is a case of striking while the iron's hot. Yeah, and making 
the movie that is the big epic only because the first one is so, so successful. Mm -hmm. And like, I think had they waited longer, had they waited, how long was it between, uh, what was it about uh, 15 years Um, between, between two and three, Mm -hmm. um, had you waited that long, it, it wouldn't have been, yeah. It it may not have worked commercially. Yeah. Also, um, didn't they make this into a miniseries in the eighties? They they did. Or the like the late seventies. And I yeah. think I think Walter Murch edited that oh, together. Interesting. He didn't he he worked on the conversation, so concurrently with this yeah. and then I don't I don't recall who the editor was on um on The Godfathers, but yeah, not, on, not on this movie there was actually uh one or two cuts that I didn't think worked very well. And during the mm-hmm. movie I was like, Didn't Walter Murch edit this? This is terrible. And then uh <laughs> violating his own rules. Yeah, and then I I looked it up and he didn't. So, but to go back to your question about like the way the flashbacks work and everything, I think I think it's the right structure mm-hmm. because they work in tandem mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. sort of the rise and the fall of this family. Yeah, and and it's not a total fall, but it's a pretty substantial. Like they're on they're on the ropes by the end of this. Yeah, you know, I think it's interesting talking about structure. How this structure is completely different than the first one. Mm-hmm. Like, and that's kind of interesting to think about. Like. The how you have uh you know they would see this as a formula that clearly works mm. you know with the first one then they throw that out the window and do comp- something completely different yeah because they could have easily like uh made Michael a little bit older and have him die you know in the at the end of the yeah. second act or something and and try to do the same thing and it's not it's very different Fredo yeah. becomes Godfather and then it's a comedy <laughs> oh god okay I will watch you're, that a comedy of errors you're talking about uh, the casting which is amazing this is still like relatively early in both Al Pacino yeah. and um, De, Niro. Oh, De Niro's career yeah. which is kind of amazing because like it's so easy to look back on something and see it as inevitable but like this is still so early that you know this could like their career might not have taken off, you know, yeah. like it, it, that'd be hard because their performances are very good, but you know, the well, things could have turned out differently. Did De Niro have a major performance before this? He was in mean streets before this, but that wasn't like a major performance. I, I mean, he's not even Harvey Keitel is the main character in mean streets. Yeah. Um, he was, I mean, I think from, but I think from mean streets, Scorsese was sort of like, this guy is fire. This guy is, mm-hmm. you know, the next thing. And so, um, it, did you buy I, him as a young De Niro? I mean, as, as a, a as young, young uh, oh yeah. Well, let me, yeah, let me, yeah. let me ask this. I, I wanted to get into what do you guys think between the two, between the flashback storyline and the uh, kind of rolling on concurrent storyline? Mm-hmm. Um, which do you, which do you prefer? I kind of like the first, the the flashback. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's kind of kind of feels more interesting i think they i think they have to go together but if i I had to pick one i would probably like to watch just the the nero movie where he you know the rise of the godfather yeah i find that i i i'm the same Mm -hmm. exact same way and i find that so amazing because it's just generally i feel like knowing that there is a past and and it's informed by the decisions that you see is so Mm -hmm. much more interesting than showing it to you but uh the the backstory is so rich that it's worth it. Yeah. Um here. It's not there it's not just cutting corners. Mm-hmm. And even when you get like when he when uh he goes back to uh cut up the guy. Yeah. Um and, mm-hmm. and the guy says, Oh, you took the name of name of the motherland or the home country or whatever. Mm-hmm. Of of the town. Of the town. Yeah. yeah. Um that that's something that in another movie may have felt just campy and cheesy. Yeah. It felt really earned here, I thought. Yeah. Um but I, I just 
I think, and maybe it's because I think Vito's a more interesting character and a more, mm-hmm. um, maybe, and maybe even less of an anti-hero than Michael is. Yeah. Um, yeah, Michael definitely feels like an anti-hero in this movie, whereas Vito yeah. feels like the hero in... Yeah, in in, yeah. in the perspective that, yeah. you're, that you're given, yeah. Of course. Um, and, and so I, I think that that... Um, you know, that progression of Vito is to me more compelling, more interesting. Mm -hmm. And it kind of surprises me that Mm -hmm. I, that I feel that way because, um, I don't think it's something that we necessarily needed, but I'm glad that we got it. Yeah, totally. Uh, comparing the two movies structure, uh, the second one starts with text on screen. Mm -hmm. I kind of hate text on screen. Yeah. Um, especially if it's not used throughout, like that's something that I just really just don't like because it's, you know, like, Hand feeding you information. Um, Unforgiven would like to have a word with you. Why? Why is that? Uh, because it uh, has opening and closing text. It's the only time it's in the movie, and it works to perfection. Well, that's that's bookends. Yeah, as well. that's a different thing. Like yeah. this, I'm a little on the fence on that too as well. I'm just going to put that <laughs> okay. out there. I think it works here. I think it's yeah. it's the right because you need you do need the touch of. Mm-hmm. Um, just little bits of information that you're getting, be it, mm-hmm. uh, you know, where we are, what time it is, how old Vito is, those but little... all that came out, all that came out in dialogue. That is the, and that's the only thing that's over-explained in the movie. Everything else in the movie, you have to work hard with your brain to understand. They are mm, yes. not jumping out and telling you when Fredo contradicts his own story. If if like when I watched this probably the first time and I was you know fourteen or whatever I don't think I gathered that Fredo had backstabbed him mm-hmm. because you know they're talking about well two and people. The, the way that it's revealed is brilliant like that's yes. that's a brilliant piece of exposition when they're mm-hmm. at the like nightclub yeah and you just see Michael hone in and and catch it but the way you know it's kind of a wide shot mm-hmm. and it's you could easily be off somewhere else and not realize the mm-hmm. connection that's made. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that's a, a nice back to your, your question about the direction. I think, uh, really like, I mean, what happened to Francis Ford Coppola? Because like in the seventies, he was so good at just letting things exist, yeah. letting them be, uh, me and John have this ongoing conversation or a question of, uh, like best to worst director. Oh yeah. And I remember we were talking about that, of like, what director had the highest highs and lowest lows? And he threw someone out there, and after a while, it's just like, Coppola. It's, he's you definitely know? in the conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but you're talking about, like, the light touches. I love, re-watching part one, I loved the light touches at the beginning of the movie with, um, uh, throughout uh, the wedding, the mm-hmm. wedding party. I thought mm-hmm. that was amazing. The first time I watched it, it drug on. I felt like that was an hour that we're at that wedding. <laughs> but this time watching it, that felt like five minutes because it put it set up so much stuff. It's it a quick up, immersion. Yeah, it set up like uh, Sonny's like womanizing that you'd see throughout and him cheating. Mm-hmm. And there's so many like brief glimpses of stuff that you'd see mm-hmm. that you would like learn oh that meant so much more Chekhov's mortician you get yeah <laughs> you see a mortician in the first act you get him in the third act yeah and, and then and, Coppola is mm-hmm. so great at at making like a period film and paying attention to detail on everything mm-hmm. that it's really immersive uh so you're not only doing a really great job of setting the mood and the the setting and all this other stuff but his his detail meshes in with that you know the set design and the direction and all those other other things mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and i think there is there's a really nice carryover in visual style from 1 to 2 mm-hmm. and then also a kind of 
built upon addition with the flashback stuff mm-hmm. because it feels like everything's sort of famously shot darker than mm-hmm. you typically would. Yeah. And like interiors are all lit from above. So mm-hmm. you have these heavy shadows falling. Yeah. Or from and, windows or, or, or practicals. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but it's it's not it's not over over no. lit. It's like um, very gorgeous, but very like ominous yeah. and eerie. And I think that that carryover into the flashback stuff, mm-hmm. where it's it's almost sepia toned, yeah. but, but it still has that um, that that feeling of being a little too dark is is yeah. a really great masterful touch. And and he did a good job of making New York feel very different from Tahoe. Made it feel very different oh, yeah. from Cuba. Made it feel oh, different yeah. from Miami. It was yeah. really good. Oh, uh, one thing I did notice about the lighting was uh in the hotel scene like normally all the interiors are so dimly lit mm-hmm. that was the one that was like like conventionally lit mm-hmm. that was you the, mean the hotel where they talk about her miscarriage yeah, yeah yeah and um yeah i thought that was great like watching it being like oh like that makes sense that he's coming into it, the light it's a moment of enlightenment yeah exactly, yeah and yeah. it's the one scene that's like well lit mm-hmm and I thought that was like a great little touch. And it's kind of sad that that's the only day that Diane Keaton really needed to get out of bed and act. Like I <laughs> wish they would have used her a little more. Otherwise, she yeah. just sort of standing there. No, around. I I agree and that's that's back to my whole point about like I feel like if Michael was a m- little more introspective, if there was a little more just even him just focusing on being with the family and what the family means to him more yeah. than just like family being a a, you know, broad statement. Um, I think I think this film would have benefited from that. And that's I, that's mm-hmm. not to say that I dislike this film. I have I've been on record in the past on on the show actually as saying that Godfather Part Two is the better of the two films. I think I'm going to have uh, to back that out this I, time. I kind of think I kind of like one better. I do. I And I don't I don't hate to. No, I don't. But I have I a don't. lot less to uh-huh. nitpick in mm-hmm. into. I mean, and, and that's that's where it really falls is like these are both both great masterfully made films mm-hmm. um but two has just a little it i think it has the you were saying highest highs and lowest lows of directors but yeah it has the highest highs for me of mm-hmm. the of the two films but some of the lowest lows as well mm-hmm. in things that aren't quite as as good because i think i think everything with de niro or almost everything with de niro is just pitch perfect mm-hmm. in the way that it's executed yeah did you, did you like the black hand Oh, I love the Black Hand. Oh, he's so good. <laughs> I, I will watch uh, a Black Hand movie, to be honest. He's when, he's such a character. And well, in that whenever that, he hopped into the car, I laughed. I laughed so <laughs> hard. There's, there's a few. There's a few moments of levity. In, yeah. In, in in that, like there, there's that. There's the uh, the um, the landlord. Yeah. When he comes to visit Vito. Yeah, that was great. Oh, one thing I just realized is uh, how how Vito got to the Black Hand. Mm-hmm. Um, it was completely different than how he got to uh, the the mafia the mafia boss in Italy, mm-hmm. in how he took how the because the Black Hand was Italian, um, right. but how he ran his operation completely different than the Italians in Italy ran it, where like he had a compound, yeah, and he had guards. Where the Black Hand, I, I didn't realize this until i thought about it. he was just walking around with nobody he was just neighborhood thug yeah he yeah. was he but yeah. that's that's a thing that that's great about Vito is mm-hmm. he kind of he kind of reappropriates that yeah. and then takes it to the next level yeah and he, does it like the italians back in italy mm-hmm. like getting a compound having people with him all the time yeah whereas the black hand didn't and if he would have he wouldn't have gotten killed right I and, thought that was well, great. and also, I mean, the black hand as for as much mm-hmm. money as he's taking in, and yeah. as, as you know, his big lavish white suits. Yeah, he kind of lives in a crappy. He, uh, I thought that was amazing. He was just like any other Joe. Yeah, like 
he like you might have to complain to him about his like about stomping or about having like too loud of parties, which is just kind of funny. About like, yeah, I'm neighbors with the black hand oh, over man. there. I would watch that sitcom. Yeah, that yeah, that seems like a sitcom. He seems like a sitcom fella. Just like how he's always talking about getting his beak wet. What a weird spinoff from The Godfather. That time yeah. they made a sitcom about the black hand. Oh it would, man, it would be the like reverse. From uh, from Cheers to Frasier, it would be from Frasier to Cheers. That would be the, <laughs> yeah. the feeling of it. Oh, man. Um, did you guys see the stock footage in part two? Stock footage. I f- it feels like there was stock footage Where? in this movie. Uh, a lot of the establishing shots felt like stock footage. Huh. I didn't like, notice that. I, I noticed, I, I used the DVD that Chris very mm. kindly let me borrow. And I noticed that there was like, well, actual like that, quality difference. That DVD is pretty like it's it's not the greatest really? transfer too. Yeah, it might not be, but some of the establishing shots kind of like were far enough away that it looked like stock footage to me. Interesting. Yeah, I, I didn't. I watched the Blu-ray this time. Um, it's not and, bragging. I don't have it. It didn't. Um, I nothing stuck out to me. Nothing like to to make a callback yeah. to to previously. Mm-hmm. Nothing felt like. Uh, the deer hunter where clearly like <laughs> I have uh, not seen the deer th- hunter. there's moments in the uh-huh. deer hunter where they're like this is vietnam clearly 16 millimeter stock footage vietnam <laughs> because we couldn't go there well the sets for vietnam vietnam if i remember were really bad too they were like, okay they were fine they weren't like you knew <laughs> they weren't in vietnam but i bought into that it oh was, i didn't was, buy into much in that movie <laughs> It was it was more like they would do these montages of like establishing, but it's like every piece of footage felt like it was a different like grain structure. And oh, like that's taken that's from tremendous. A, yeah, which just I mean, maybe for a general audience is fine, but really took me out of the film. And then and then I found out I think it was nominated for like sound design and cinematography mm-hmm. and all the and it's just like oh no, that, those were all the worst parts of this movie. <laughs> um, oh, that's but, so. So what are the what are your final thoughts on The Godfather Part Two? Maybe we should start with Kevin. Like I want to talk about the the end of for, of the first one whenever they shut the door on Kay, mm-hmm. and then in this one whenever he shuts the door on her again, and we're felt, on the other side of the door. Yeah, we're on the other side of the door. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought like there's moments where it it felt like a parody of itself, hmm. and to the point where like it is the original. It is what it is. And it's not some other movie parodying itself. And yeah. I didn't see this movie in 1974. Not all this stuff is so fresh Yeah, where it's like, I've, this movie's existed for the past X amount of years. And it's so, I'm not doing the math. You can't make me. 42. And um, what? We're film 42? majors. We're not required to do math. Yeah. Also, I want this podcast to live forever. So it's never pinpointed in time and space. <laughs> Good point. Yeah. So, uh, since it's been out there for 69 years, <laughs> that, like, you know, it's, yeah, it, it felt hard to see that kind of stuff and be like, oh, they're parodying The Godfather. Oh, wait, this is The Godfather. Mm-hmm. So, it's like, And it was made you know, so close to it that there wasn't time for everything else to have parodied the, the yeah. door closing and the use of oranges as a, as a metaphor for bad things coming and all those. Yeah, yeah. Oranges is a metaphor for bad things? Well, it's it, it's not a metaphor. It's, it's, a, it's uh, a... Omen, maybe? Yeah, or foreshadowing. Oh. Like, because... I see that now, yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, Vito in the first one, he's getting oranges, or he's talking about, asking about oranges, he gets shot, he puts the orange in his mouth, and he's chasing the kid around, yeah. Yeah. And then those guys are like, hey, here's an orange from Miami, and then Michael gets his window shot up, and... Yeah. 
Oh, uh, yeah. The black hand grabs oh. an orange, and then he gets shot by uh Interesting. Yeah. Kay always has a bag of oranges with her. <laughs> She's like actually th- wearing them in her hair. It's like, weird. That was so strange. All the cars are orange. I knew when, <laughs> I, I knew when Fredo took up juggling oranges that bad things were coming. <laughs> yeah. Oh, poor Fredo. The secret to catching Gosh. fish is you always bait the hook with a bunch of oranges. Yeah, that was like the most tragic part is like how kind <sighs> he was. To, and to, like, to, to Michael's son. Yeah, and Anthony. He's like, we'll, and we'll do it next time. Yeah, yeah and like... Oh my god, that was just heartbreaking to be like. And, oh, and poor he's Fredo, going Michael to get like welcomed him back into his life. Has had to be what he had thought. Mm-hmm. He yeah. probably felt totally safe on that boat. Yeah, but but like once he was like, "Hey, you're going to Reno." It's like, oh man. <laughs> <laughs> this actually, I want to hang out with the kid forever. Yeah, just <laughs> that been his just only forever. protection. But I don't think that would have uh, ever helped. No. What about yeah. you, Jake? Final thoughts. So I think this movie is very good. I think I would even call this a great movie. It's excellent. I used to say it was the best sequel of all time. Uh, I still am going to say it's one of the best, but I'm just going to go with Toy Story 2 from now on. <laughs> Toy oh. Story 2 is okay. I thought, see, I thought I thought you were going to say Mad Max Fury Road didn't exist before the, you know, a couple of years ago. <laughs> Are we going to talk about Road Warrior? I'm, I'm talking about direct number two in a sequence. Direct number, okay, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. Uh, no, I I think your um your Toy Story two a lot of people don't don't care for it as much, but I'm up there with you. I think it expands upon the, the <laughs> world perfectly. Yeah, um, that that's an interesting. Like, okay, so for I mean, I'm I guess I I got what I sort of dread but enjoy about watching going back and revisiting films. Yeah. with this one in it changed my perspective on it, mm-hmm. which I I enjoy, but um it shifted in a way that was a little unpleasant it's not like it's not like you know i had a huge tonal shift where i'm like oh this is actually a terrible movie it was more just like i had it on a huge pedestal and i yeah. bring it down a little bit it's still great it's still it is difficult to want to put in the time to mm-hmm. watch a three and a half hour film yeah which is why i hadn't revisited it in mm-hmm. quite a while yeah and um i'm glad i did i really like they're watching so watching one through again I basically remembered beat for beat mm-hmm. everything that happens every little mm-hmm. every little moment this there were a lot of things that I remembered only pieces of mm-hmm. or um or that sort of thing like I I didn't recall the I know it was you kissing Fredo happening in Havana for instance yeah. um so uh I don't know it's it's evolutionary I guess and yeah. I initially going in I was like this is going to be the time that I finally watch it I think it was just after I'd watched one I was like this is going to be the time that I finally watch part 3 <laughs> and then I got to the end of part two and I was like, okay, it's, it's been a long marathon. I'm just going to keep part three on the shelf for a while again. Yeah. I'm, I'm morbidly curious. I think I'm going to watch it. Cause why not? Like, <laughs> I think I'm, I'm getting uh, to the point where I don't mind seeing movies that I, that I know I'm not going to like mm-hmm. because it's going to inform me on, on what wh- doesn't work, or- what doesn't work and what I like. What I don't, I don't, I like. don't want it to take away from these movies though. These movies are so good. I hate that excuse. Like I, don't, I and maybe yeah. maybe it just doesn't do it for me and so I don't care, but yeah. like the whole like this this new movie will ruin the old movie like it's But, but what, if, ever had, what if the main plot point in this next movie is that Michael has had a third nipple that was speaking to him the whole time? And they well, go back and intercut it into the first two movies. Well, that's <laughs> if they different. intercut it into the first two, uh, yeah, that's different. You're yeah. you're talking about changing Anakin Skywalker from uh, the the old dude into Hayden Christensen. That's that's a whole different thing. Yeah, yeah. You're talking like if you've ever like had an amazing hamburger 
and then you went and ate a bad hamburger, and you're like, that's it. I'm never I'm eating never hamburger again. again. Yeah. And it's like, no, that's not how it works. That <laughs> doesn't take away from that one good hamburger, Jake. I, I feel like you haven't had a truly bad hamburger. Oh, I've had some bad ones. <laughs> so tell me more. Oh, well, crowning glory, is it nutty? Is it foamy? Is it hoppy? Does it have a surprisingly fruity note which lingers on the tongue? Mm, spear. Mmm. We'll have five of those, please. We all know the right thing to pair with The Godfather Part 2 is a bold red wine. But if you're dead set on having a beer, Chris, go ahead and tell the listeners what they should pick. Okay, so this film is about the potential of the American dream and one immigrant family's driven, albeit misguided, pursuit of that dream. So with that in mind, and the fact that the 2016 presidential election is only days away, sorry, Kevin, once again, putting this in stone ah. as a, a place in time um it's only days away <laughs> i'm pairing the godfather part two with america by prairie artisan ales uh in tulsa slash krebs oklahoma uh now this first thing about this beer like all prairie beers this has a really great label the artwork on all prairie is just like you could frame it it's really good um next thing about this beer this is a uh, a farmhouse ale, which is uh, one of the sort of flagship bedrock cornerstones of uh, of Prairie. They do a lot of farmhouses. They do a lot of sours. They do a lot of barrel-aged stuff. But farmhouse is like what they started with. Um, and it's a it's a it's got a very funky yeast profile. Um, so if, if you're the type of person who doesn't like, say, like a Boulevard Tank 7, this is probably not the beer for you because it's going to take that like weird – funky sourness to a whole nother like it's it's solid it's really good but um it it might taste like rubber bands to you <laughs> um so so with that caveat if if but if tank seven is something you enjoy uh try try this america next time you watch uh the godfather part two i think it'll pair nicely and uh you know the pursuit of the american dream etc the Godfather Part 2 is currently available to rent and purchase from all impeccable purveyors of motion pictures, or to borrow from your parents' DVD case. Or you can always pick it up on four and a half VHS tapes from your local Hollywood video. Be kind, rewind. War starts at midnight, brought to you by Hollywood Video. If you've seen The Godfather Part 2, tell us your thoughts at hello at warstartsatmidnight.com. Or if email isn't your thing, we'd still love to hear from you. Ring the red phone and leave us a voicemail at 484-424-6362. That's 484 484- for cinema. Stick around. We'll be back after the break with recaps of weeks eight and nine of the Midnight Warrior Fantasy Movie League and the special features topic Worst Sequels Ever.
And now, Midnight Warriors, it's time for a bi-weekly fantasy movie league recap. Weeks 8 and 9, Perfect Cinemas had a whole lot of Halloween spookiness in common. Medea has somehow become the underpriced $50 million juggernaut of the fantasy movie league. Back-to-back weeks with four screens of Boo, a Medea Halloween, have anchored both Perfect Cinemas. Week 8 had Medea joined by three storks and a pilot desperately trying to avoid them. Yes, Sully has made his fourth appearance in the Perfect Cinema. And Storks has made it second. But now it's time for both to fly off into the FML sunset for good. Week 9 saw the man in the moo back in the perfect cinema. This time joined by one screen of The Accountant and three screens of an Indian romantic drama film soon to be mispronounced by yours truly. <sighs> Alright, here goes. I Dil High Mushkil. Not too bad. I like it. Or Elijah Dushku. Either one. I think it's <laughs> approximately the same thing. So in my weekly FML predictions, I said that the holiday weekend would dominate. So obviously everyone should have known that I meant the Indian holiday of Diwali. Oh, yeah. I See, I've noticed you've been leaving these little Easter egg puzzles in your, you know, your, you say one thing, you actually mean another. Uh, that, that, was, that was real clever there, Jake. Yeah. Uh, and that's not just because I thought Inferno was going to bomb and I, I needed <laughs> to be the one leaving clues. Right. So, Chris, how did you celebrate uh, Diwali? Did you see the unpronounceable overperformer? I did not. I don't think it was playing anywhere around here either. Um, I, I had a pretty busy, busy weekend, though. Yeah, I, I didn't. I didn't see it either. I didn't see it even listed. Um, I know that this is supposed to be more like of a niche marketing type thing, mm-hmm. where it's really targeting um, Indian Americans. Yeah. And it's a Bollywood film that they brought over. I believe uh, in some of the articles that I read, they said they brought a film over last year that did pretty good. Not like fantastic, um, but that this one was supposed to be a much better film and hitting on a holiday weekend. Interesting. So as for the Midnight Warrior League, week eight was won by friend of the show, Film School Dropout. This is our friend Lacey Bowen, who always manages to be near the top. And she just edged out School of Rock by less than $300,000. So I'm going to guess that they read my article where I predicted five of the eight perfect cinema screens. Mm-hmm. You're you're going to insert applause here, correct? I'm very proud of this. <laughs> it was my first week writing, and I didn't look like a buffoon. Yeah, so. you were pretty worried about it when you when you published it. I I think you thought Medea was a pretty pretty bold ballsy choice, but it uh, it paid off. Yeah, but, you know, before I let my pride go to my head, I should admit that week nine, I did not trust Boo. And, uh, but, you know, uh, scruffy looking nerf herder did. And he bought four more screens of Tyler Perry and pushed on to an $82 million Cineplex, topping week nine and becoming our first two time winner. Yeah, congratulations. And I think, correct me if I'm wrong, he had five of the eight correct screens. He did. Yeah. Um, and if while we're handing out accolades here, we should go back and mention that uh, Film School Dropout has um, become the number one Cineplex in our league since the week three start when we invited everybody in. Yeah. So congratulations to Lacey. Yeah, congratulations. Yeah, as I as I said on the Facebook post, maybe she's the one who should be writing these uh, prediction articles. <laughs> I don't know. I I like your I like your input. I like your your guesses. I like. You know, because it's clear, you know, you, you talk about FML nerd a lot. FML nerd, I believe, has models and all these things that, you know, he's pulling from. You're just you're going from the gut. And I like it. It's, you know, high risk, high reward following what you say. OK, so, Chris, for week 10, here's my question. 
Do you think you're going to buy the $830 Doctor Strange? Yeah, I'm looking at this and I don't know because I, has there been anything this season that's been that high? Any single film? For our season, that is the biggest one yet. That's the biggest release we've seen. Wow. So it's $830. You've got Trolls, which is also coming out in week 10 um, at 334, which is still pretty high, but more than half or less than half, what I, however however those words work, um, <laughs> what what Doctor Strange is. And then you've got Hacksaw Ridge, also a new release, at $126. Yeah, but if you pick Doctor Strange, there's like a lot of small movies at the bottom that you could fill it in with. Mm-hmm. This week, under $26 are seven films. Uh, some of them are returners like The Girl on the Train, but there's also Moonlight, which is getting excellent reviews but isn't in a lot of screens yet yeah but moonlight moonlight's been getting really good reviews solid reviews across i mean i think it's at 99 percent right now and uh last week week nine i think it was less than a hundred thousand dollars away from sully so that's not that's not too bad either um and and i know it's getting on more screens each week so that's the real question is it looks like okay you could do one doctor strange six moonlights and one all right here we go <laughs> ideal high mushkill uh to round it out it, it almost sounds like it should be scottish or something i hill die mushkill some some finnegan's some, a line from finnegan's wake maybe yeah <laughs> no that would make that would make slightly less sense uh <laughs> but you know the the problem with going with that many moonlights we want it to review Moonlight. Yeah, yeah. But we don't know that it's going to come to Tulsa and Baton Rouge. Yeah, well, I know it's coming to Tulsa, but they have not announced a date. Circle Cinema has only said coming soon. Um, and on on the Moonlight website, it also says coming soon. But uh, no, no date yet, so it's hard to say. But that's the question is, I think Moonlight's probably going to have legs. It's, you know, all the buzz has been, this is the, especially as it's come out and getting wider release. Um saying this is going to be an Oscar t- contender. This is one to watch. So this is the one that might actually stay in the Cineplexes for, you know, a month or two months, maybe, you know, I mean, we've, we've got a long run, a long stretch into uh, Oscar season. So uh, definitely one to keep an eye out for, I think. Uh, but, but I mean, you could also, you could also go with trolls and then five hacksaw ridges. So do we really, do <laughs> I don't we, know about hacksaw but, ridge, man. I don't, I don't think hacksaw, if hacksaw ridge, uh, makes bank. I don't think it's going to make it all in its first week. I think it's the type of movie that will get word of mouth and then hang around for a little while. But I don't know if it's that either. Trolls. I actually, Trolls I actually agree with though. you. Think. Think. I mean, what was it? Two weeks ago, that Sully was in a perfect cinema. Mm-hmm. Those guys yeah, who saw no, Sully exactly. two weeks ago are going to be seeing Hacksaw Ridge around Thanksgiving. Exactly. It's going to be. It's going to be on the back end. Trolls is more interesting to me because. Uh, Kids movies have been doing really well. I mean, Mrs. Peregrine's Peculiar Kids uh, was in a, like two or three perfect cinemas in a row. Um, we had before that. I can't remember. There was there was another another children's movie that, that did. Oh, Storks. Storks did really well. Storks, um, so, a movie that wouldn't die. I said it wouldn't make another perfect cinema. I know I said that. Mm-hmm. It's $18 this week. It might be the thing that fills out something with. You know, I, but are the, or are the people, is everyone going to go see trolls? Everyone that saw storks is going to go see trolls. I think. Well, here's what I'm doing. I'm doing two trolls, six storks and keeping my $224 and <laughs> seeing if they'll roll it over in the next week. <laughs> I don't think they do that. I, you know, I'm, I, and I may change it, 
but I'm going to, I think I'm going to do one Dr. Strange, six Moonlights, and one of those Indian films and see how it goes. Um, I think this is a pretty high risk, high reward situation. Like I could end up on my face. Um, not, you know, not as bad as some people like, uh, one, Mr. Hunter Cates. Did you see how he did on, in his first week in the league? Uh, I saw him attempt to set a lineup. Yeah, it was, it was a weird lineup and it, he is now officially has the lowest performing week of anyone, single week of anyone. Uh, how, how many, how many screens did he leave blank? I think he left three. There was, I think there was someone who had one more screen blank than he did that outperformed him. We, we should, we should remind people that if you leave a, a screen empty, they take $2 million off of your box office. It is in your best interest to try and fill those screens up. Uh, yeah, he, he decided, well, it could be, I honestly think it's very possible that there's some sabotage going on here and he is intentionally leaving screens blank, intentionally choosing Inferno, a movie that no one was going to go see just so that he has to chug that line and Google cranberry because I have it on good, good authority that he doesn't mind it. And are, I think he kind of enjoys this, uh, this streak. He's, he's the heel. If, if he has to chug it, do you buy it for him? Is he trying to get a free beer? <laughs> That's what's going on. That's probably what's happening. You're right. This week, I just set one screen and it's Deepwater Horizon. Where's that beer at? <laughs> I have the worst Hunter impression. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Midnight Warriors, your feedback is always welcome. So give us a shout out on Facebook or Twitter at WSAMPod or drop us a line at hello at warstartsmidnight.com or hit up that bright red telephone at 484-424-6362. We'd love to hear your hot takes on the Cineplex. The Godfather Part 2 is generally considered to be one of the best sequels of all time. It's the only sequel on the AFI Top 100 list, and is frequently cited as one of the best movies of all time. So, after having watched one of the best sequels, I thought we would all try to make our picks for the worst sequels of all time. Sequels are notoriously bad. So we all went out and tried to pick what we thought were the absolute worst of the worst. So Chris, do you want to go first? My my pick is so stupid that I'm afraid to go first, but I will. Um <laughs> So the, the first thing that popped into my mind when you suggested this, this special features topic was Home Alone 4. Home Alone 4 is really bad. You've I'm, seen Home Alone 4. Uh, is that the one where it's the new kid? The first one where there's a new kid who's not Macaulay Culkin? No, that was number three. That's Home Alone 3, Jake. Yeah. Oh, I thought that would have counted as the worst. What is Home Alone 4? Oh, my gosh. Have you seen Home Alone 4, Kevin? No. Okay. Home Alone 4 is a somewhat direct sequel to lost in New York in that they have recast everyone, but it is Kevin McAllister and buzz and his family. And, uh, Harry is not in it. The, the character played by Daniel Stern, but Marv is, but Marv has been, been recast as French Stewart. Uh, so let's start, let's start there. What? Yeah. Um, you might, you might just win outright. Okay, Kevin, we don't have to pick any movies. Chris won. <laughs> that sounds so weird. It's so, this is, this is a like 
too much of a good thing or just like a it's it's a weird i don't know why this movie exists i don't know who thought it was, was a good it, idea was this a straight to vhs i think it was or or something okay. of that of that sort okay um i don't know i don't even know why i've seen this other than like i love the home alone movies like i've seen home alone 3 which is by no means good probably a half dozen times at least well um, is it also a holiday movie um, it is. So the premise that of counts. the the premise of this one is that uh, Kevin's parents are getting a divorce. Oh, and so they've. I think at the beginning, like it opens with them like announcing to the kids, like we're getting a divorce. Also, dad's moving in with his like supermodel go- girlfriend that he already has. Oh. She lives in a mansion, and he's moving in with her. This is number four. This is number four. That's horrible. Okay, so and, I, I'm just browsing IMDb, and I just want to, <laughs> since you've seen this, I want to ask you if this is accurate, Chris. Three oh reasons God. Home Alone 4 is much better than the first three. <laughs> A, Kevin is never truly home alone, which is great. No child should ever be left alone. He always has a reliable adult around in case he runs into dangers, which sets a good example for parents and children, unlike the other Home Alone movies. Can, can you verify that? Is that true? I, I can verify it. It is accurate. And that's actually one of my pet peeves about the movie. <laughs> it's, it's called Home Alone. And it's like, at most, he's left alone with, like, housemaids. And that's, that's like, probably the biggest problem with this is it becomes a parody of itself in that, like, they were always, the McAllisters mm-hmm. were always a little too rich to be, like, a normal family. Yeah. You know? but, but, like, John Hughes had a way of, like, sanding those edges to where... It didn't. It didn't feel like they were, you know, absurd mm-hmm. characters. Yeah. And here they basically are. Like it's the his father is like dating the supermodel and living with her, and it's Christmas, and some like foreign dignitaries are coming to their Christmas party or to their house for Christmas. Huh. It makes it makes really no sense. And but she has in her in her mansion she has two like a maid and a butler, mm-hmm. and. Uh, basically he, he still does booby trapping stuff, but they're always around. He's never, he is never left Are they home helping? alone uh, with the booby trapping. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't want to give up the twist oh. at the end. Uh, is, is the booby uh, trapping as like the, the thing I like about the first home alone movie is it's basically cartoon violence. Like they're, they're doing things that would kill those men. They would all have broken backs and be dead. There's, it's been a while since I've seen this movie. I, I saw this. I don't know why. This is one of the first movies I ever saw when I got Netflix. And it must have. Oh, of have, course. It, is this why you got Netflix? It must have been on streaming. Yeah. I, I don't think I got the disc. But regardless, like, so it's been a little while since I've seen it. But from what I recall, like, there isn't a whole lot of booby trapping. Like, mm-hmm. there's there's a couple of, you know how, like, in the others, there will be, like, they come and... He like sets off the dancing or the you yeah. know little mm-hmm. little things. It's more that, and then like the climax is like compressed, and so there's not as much. It's not like the entire house is booby trapped, yeah. or it's just a couple of things, and then Kevin catches them, and then finds out that oh gosh, he was double crossed by the maid. Oh, but you're led to believe that it's the butler who's double crossing the whole time. So that's that's the whole that's twist. That's a good twist. I was, uh, I was hoping that it was going to be whenever you said there was not as much booby traps that it was going to be much more like introspective <laughs> of like this <laughs> this small child still like deeply examining his whole life no not at all it's it's like if you if you think home alone 3 is bad this is like next level of just garbage um it's okay what's what's the next what's the next thing on this this (laughs) list of four reasons oh uh (laughs) okay we don't need to go over the other ones but there were only three reasons on the list there was a two and d 
Two was something about <laughs> yes. I didn't I read the rest. IMDb. Two was like A-2. booby trapping, and three was that the acting was terrible. It was a sarcastic list. Right, uh, right. So. Okay. Um, A A two and D. That's a that's a beautiful callback. One that I use actually quite often on the show. Um, the other thing, like the 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 casting is terrible. The uh, the guy that plays Buzz is. Have you seen what Hot American Summer? The movie, no, yeah, yeah. The the kid that consoles Molly Shannon um and like gets her basically like acts as a therapist and gets her like over her husband yeah being a, like he plays buzz he's kind of a wimpy squirty little huh. kid um not intimidating at all yeah um the i think the kid that plays uh that is plays he like Kevin, emotionally abusive like <laughs> once again it goes just, introspective just, versus well and that that's another thing is like i think only kevin goes to stay with his dad for mm-hmm. christmas and then only later the the other two come to visit. Like it, none of it makes any sense. It's all just like it's really. And I, I apologize in advance, Jake, but it's like it's like a really bad, poorly plotted Disney Channel sort of uh. sort of scripting. And not even not even like a Disney Channel original movie, like a Disney Channel episode. Oh, like yeah. It's, no, I know exactly what you mean. I've I've seen a few I've seen a few Disney Channel movies in my day. <laughs> <laughs> um I yeah, and that's that's all I'm really unless you guys have other questions about this, that's no, about all I don't want to know anymore on about Home this Alone movie. Form. <laughs> I um, love John it, Hughes, and so I don't want to know anymore about this. Oh man. <laughs> okay, uh Kevin, what do you got? I like whenever you guys told me that you wanted me to pick a bad sequel, I actually had a really hard time because I know that they exist. But I felt like... You don't abuse yourself in that way. Yeah, like I don't like go out looking for them. Mm-hmm. You, the just only- said, you just said in the last segment that you were going to probably check out uh, Godfather Part 3. Yeah, so. yeah. See, like, I don't know. I, I kind of don't really like sequels for the most part. Um, there's there's a few that I do love. Road Warrior mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. possibly my favorite movie of all time. Mm-hmm. Maybe the best movie ever made. Is, is this because Road Warrior is the only movie you've never fallen asleep in the middle of? I think that's a <laughs> sign of why I like it, is that it was that good. Uh-huh. Um, but, yeah, so I had to think of, like, uh, a sequel that I have seen that I feel like I could kind of talk about, and that'd be, like, Indiana Jones 4. Mm. But I feel like that's just, like... Beating a dead horse. It, it's low hanging fruit. Yeah, yeah. I feel like it's super low hanging fruit. Well, from what I understand, Jake likes it a lot more than the one with the stick and the uh, the little miniature town, whatever that one's called. I remember yeah, what um, it was. Don't don't put me under this bus. <laughs> I didn't like. <laughs> we are so slowly dragging in front of a bus. I actually probably uh, of all people who saw this movie enjoyed Shia LaBeouf the most of anyone and that was still like a one out of ten everybody <laughs> yeah. hated him and i thought like the worst part about his uh, well the whole thing was bad but he did the best that he could with what he had and it was yeah. still bad but not as bad as like everybody made it out to be mm-hmm. it's in maybe it's i think shia labeouf has a punchable face shia labeouf has a air about him where it's just like i would i would pick a fight with that guy i kind of like shia labeouf do you yeah really yeah, I like, think he's an interesting dude. Well, that's different, but that, though. But that like, doesn't I, make you want him to be Indiana Jones. you got to be a little suave no. for that role. Yeah, yeah, totally. But, like, I think I think he is making interesting choices, so... See, and but that's like, what I was going to say, yeah. is, like, I don't necessarily... It's not like, oh, Shia LaBeouf's in this, I, I don't want to see.
see it. Yeah. It's more like Shia LaBeouf's in this and he's made like, like, uh, American honey. I really want to see that. I really want to see that, but he's playing, you know, he's not just a squeaky clean protagonist. Yeah. That's the type of role that I want him in. Not like chick saying in a, like Indiana Jones role or in a, like, what's his name? Mutt McMutterson. Yeah. Mutt, Mutt Jones. I mean, it's, it's, he's his kid. It, uh, I think that get re- revealed at the end. Spoilers if you've been spared from this movie. <laughs> Indiana is such a better nickname being named after a dog than just, na- holy crap, is that why he's named Mutt? This, this, this movie is stupid. <laughs> I like it in this movie. Chris talked this movie into being worse. <laughs> so, so let's just say that that movie never happened. This script lands on your desk. You throw it away. You hire somebody else to write it, and you get a good one. But you still need an, a, an Indiana Jones like protege to take over. Who do you cast now? At that age, or uh, we're gonna go um, probably eighteen to thirty. He, he, we're still gonna keep in okay. like he had a kid he didn't know about, and it's gonna be the next Indiana Jones. But who do you cast? Could the kid be like fifty? <laughs> I'm I'm curious now. Who, yeah. are you, who are you gonna cast? I, no, no, I don't know. Just like thinking, Gene like, sure. Oh my be... god, <laughs> that would be the amazing. next Indiana Jones, Bill Murray. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I'm trying to think of a uh, solid. I actors mean, now my go-to is obvious. Yes, I know. We all want to see Donald Glover as Indiana Jones. Hashtag yeah. Donald. For really? Everything. I mean, yeah, we we cast Donald Glover and oh, everything okay. because potentially everything's better with Donald Glover. Yeah, I actually would totally watch him doing exactly what Indiana Jones does. <laughs> I would yeah, too. I think he'd be like, like kind of like a smartass enough that like mm-hmm. I think it kind of work. Well, I, I also think I I got to talking and mm-hmm. sorry to derail this a little bit, but I yeah. got to talking with someone just the other day about uh, like anime live action adaptations and mm-hmm. stuff, and I think he would be a really good like Spike Spiegel in in. Uh, uh, Cowboy Bebop okay. and for the same reasons that I think he would be good in Indiana Jones in that he handles failing really well mm-hmm. and so much of like Indiana Jones is him thinking something's going to work and it goes poorly yeah and then his reaction to mm-hmm. it and I think there's just a he has a really good timing both comedically and dramatically in mm-hmm. handling those sorts of things so that's that's why Donald Glover but i'm sure there is a much more interesting choice or much maybe not more interesting but just a one that we don't i mean literally we throw out Donald Glover for every single we say option. we say Donald Glover and we say Joseph Gordon-Levitt for a lot and Joseph Gordon-Levitt would be awesome here as well but i'm trying um, to think of if there's any interesting choices to make who who's the the guy in Whiplash interesting huh. you know i uh wh- why can't i miles teller yeah. yeah um i've been no i think that's right like i i've been getting tired of him mm-hmm. playing sort of the wisecracking smart ass suave mm-hmm. guy but i think he would work well here yeah that's that's actually a, that's a good pick i also haven't seen him in that many movies like whiplash and spectacular now did you see him in that? Never saw Spectacular okay. Now. I never saw... It's a good little melodrama. Yeah. Um, I think... Wasn't he also in, like, The Kings of Summer or something like that? That was a different... No, no, no. no. Oh. You're thinking Spectacular Now. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and... They had similar, like, covers. Or, yeah, and, or like, similar, posters. like... Yeah. Yeah. Um, Do you have anyone else, Jake, in mind? Um, I will watch this with Simon Pegg at the helm. Hmm. I know that he's not American. I know it, you can change it up some, but I think Simon well, Pegg would be really good at this sort of thing. Maybe, maybe that's the uh, that's the pattern you have: British father, American son, American yeah. father, British son. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I I like that idea. 
I, I don't know if you and update it. It makes, it, sense, be... it makes sense with him traveling. You know, it's, it's sort of like the whole James Bond thing. Like, yeah. James Bond has a kid. He's definitely not British. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah. That and, would be... That would be so much more interesting. And and he's really good at, like, almost succeeding at stuff. Mm-hmm. And he has his little plans, and they work or they don't work, but he always... He kind of lands on his feet a little yeah. bit in a, yeah. in a lot of his roles. I think he would be really good at that. And he definitely think- has the... The, the the comedic chops to handle the the funnier kind of bits too so yeah uh-huh. I, th- I think it, i think that could be a good match i don't know how he does his action hero yeah because he's more like you think mission possible is benji he's more the comedic relief he's the tech guy he's yeah. the and that i, I sort of think when indiana jones uh especially for the first movie it worked where he was a little bit kind of like a mad max where it was another story that he was sort of passing through mm-hmm. and uh, that's what I I like about Raiders is he comes into a story that was going to take place, goes with it, and then kind of leaves. Um, and that I think goes to like the pulp serial nature that uh, Spielberg was going for. Right. And, uh, I, I think I think Peg could do the same exact thing. Okay, Jake. So what do you have for nomination for worst sequel ever? So I had a short list, and Indiana Jones is on it. Rocky Five is really bad, like franchise killing bad, itchy and bad. What? Itchy bad. What does that mean? Oh God. Oh, yeah. just just go back to the catalog and listen to uh, listen to a Rocky review. Oh, okay. <laughs> I still like. I get I get accosted by people who are like, "Hey, been listening to your podcast. You hate Rocky. What's wrong with you? <laughs> Have you heard the Bill Burr Philly rant about how Philadelphia loves Rocky and Joe Frazier is from Philadelphia? Maybe you were somebody was recently telling me about this. Yeah, and that that that's so funny that there's a statue right for Rocky, and there's right. no statue for Joe Frazier, who should have a statue. <laughs> right. That's funny. Yeah. The other the other movie I almost included was The Phantom Menace, which we all know. You know yeah. that's kind of been talked to death too. So I wanted to go a different way. I, I named Anchorman Two as my my worst sequel and possibly the worst certified fresh movie ever on Rotten Tomatoes. Hmm. D- did you guys see hmm. Anchorman Two? I did not. I was really depressed by the trailer and just decided to block it out. And I loved, loved, and still love Anchorman. Mm-hmm. I do too. I loved Anchorman so much the first time I saw it. I went back, if not the next night, it was like two nights later. I was like, I got to see this movie again. This this thing <laughs> nails it. And I liked the little bit of social commentary they had about the 70s. You know, them walking along, just throwing trash on the ground and... Mm-hmm. And the and womanizing and the womanizing like, it was really yeah. funny. The writing was really good. This this movie has none of that, but we don't need to go into the really terrible details of it or the fact that this is you know the the next movie for Adam uh, McKay after that was you know best picture winning. Right. So what the heck was going on? But let's talk about in general. I want to talk about comedies with good sequels. Is this even possible? And can you name me a comedy? That is a sequel that is funny that does not feature Mike Myers. Yes. I've what? got one. What is it? What? And I think it's better than the original. What? Clerks 2. I haven't even seen Clerks 2. I didn't see Clerks 2 because I saw Clerks 1 and I'm like Kevin. I generally make a habit of not seeing sequels that I think aren't going to be good. <laughs> oh my gosh. You guys. Really? You need, yeah. I think, honestly, I think Clerks 2 is a war crime. Really? Um, wow. Yeah. I, I, I love Clerks 2. Really? I, yeah. 
before this, I was uh, just like Googling like, hey, bad sequels, and mm. Clerks 2 popped up so many times. Really? Yeah. yeah. I think I think it is such a better movie than Clerks. Mm-hmm. Um, it shows amazing growth mm-hmm. in Kevin Smith, which I think he's been regressive mm-hmm. in the past, mm-hmm. or, in, or not in the past, in recent years. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I've talked about this a bit on the podcast before, so I won't go too in-depth, but I think Clerks 2 is sort of a perfect comedy sequel. Like, it expands the world. It's Mm -hmm. not, it's very much its own story in every way. It's not trying to say like that thing that worked last time, let's do it again, but bigger. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, it's not like a hangover movie. Yeah. Um, It's saying, okay, let's take these characters who we all know and let's look at them X amount of years down the road where they would be and, and have that inform the story that we tell. Mm -hmm. Um, I, yeah, I love clerks too. All right. Huh. Interesting. See, my theory was Mike Myers was the master of the sequel because Wayne's World 2, great. Oh my God. Wayne's World 2 is amazing. Yeah. Both, both Austin, the all three Austin Powers movies I thought were pretty funny. Mm-hmm. Um, and- I recently watched part of uh, number three this week and uh, John came in and made me turn it. Really? Really? I think it's a, it's over the top, but I love it. <laughs> like we watched it for like ten minutes, and he was like, "We got to watch something else." And then we turned on Atlanta. <laughs> Atlanta's so good. It relaunched Michael Caine. Yeah, if for no other true. reason, it deserves to um, exist. It, I'm sorry. What did you say? It relaunched the career of Michael Caine. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Then. I mean, it, it legitimately did. Like he was, you know, around, but not. Mm-hmm. It wasn't Michael Caine anymore, and yeah. somehow, like, it just struck perfectly with you know casting him as the father and that's like i feel like had they done a four it would have gotten way too wacky Mm -hmm. it would have been like if seinfeld continued on into you know season 10 11 12 it probably you would you know would have just reached that peak where it's like too much yeah but three is like three's pushing it but i really do like it Mm -hmm. do you think we're ready for another uh, austin powers no that's what i'm saying i don't i don't think we can do austin powers anymore Hmm. Like yeah. it's, I think it's pushed to the limits of, of what you can pull off. I mean, even like Beyonce's not great in three. There's still she's there are not, definitely she's very problems. Bad. She's so wooden. Mm-hmm. Um, like they should have just had her do choreography for something, and I would have been totally fine with it. it would have been yeah. great. I, I also think the movies and the stuff that it was making fun of is gone. I mean, the bomb. Everything's gritty now. There's not that you know over the top kind of action like there was before. Well, and but one was more a direct Bond ripoff, and then two almost became a. It, it was became its own thing. It was in some ways parodying itself. Yeah. In some ways, you know, just getting mm-hmm. sillier. Much. I mean, the the change from one to two is much sillier, and so that is a like. It depends on your taste, mm-hmm. I guess. I know yeah. people who only think one is like one's the only good one. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I generally agree. Like those those three are great. Um, Wayne's World, Wayne's World Two. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but but that that I just couldn't think of any other good sequels. And I I usually want to like sequels, but I've been burned so many times on comedies that I just don't I just don't get out of bed for them anymore. It's so <laughs> tough though. Like it's because the thing that makes comedies work so well is their sort of their spontaneity and yeah. mm-hmm. the um you know the way that it builds something out that should be impossible or should be impractical and makes you buy into it. Mm-hmm. Um, and by trying to go back, particularly with a movie and trying to strike that again, it just, unless you change it like clerks did, it feels just kind of 
boring and stale and old. I mean, it's like, yeah. I didn't, I didn't see Zoolander two, but Zoolander two from the trailers kind of looked like that same thing where it's yeah. like, we're just going to amp up what we already did. And it's like, and everyone's much older now and it's tough to like, it, it's tough for me to even buy in that he would be a male model still. Yeah. You know, with, I think with comedies, you get more mileage out of just putting the same actors together again and giving them a new script like, um, right. Prior and Wilder or, uh, Chris Farley and, um, not Dana Carvey, um, David Spade, David Spade. Yeah. Just put, put it from Tommy boy to black sheep or Peg and Frost. Yeah. Just mm-hmm. give them a new script. Let them be funny together again. They can even have similar relationships, right? But give them a new script. Don't make it the same characters. Cause yeah. then you either have to deviate from the movie and have people complain that it's not the same movie or you remake right. the movie with different jokes and have people complain you know, that it's the same movie with different jokes or the same movie with the jokes are kind of the same. Right. Yeah. All right. Well, Midnight Warriors, there you have it. These are our nominations for the worst sequels ever. I'm sure we left some out, but, you know, we've got Home Alone 4. We've got Anchorman 2. We've got Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Um, tell us what you think. Are these, uh, what, what do you think is the worst? I don't, I don't even know if mine qualifies because it's hardly a movie. I, um, which is, which is yeah. a phrase I seem to be using often here on the show. And I feel like mine won't win because it is a certified fresh movie on Rotten Tomatoes. Someone liked this movie. To caveat mine, mm-hmm. like, I feel like Kingdom of the Crystal Skull is just maybe misunderstood. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, God. Like, All right. All right. That's, that's actually what I want to know. Midnight yeah. Warriors, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, worst sequel ever. Or misunderstood Jim. I think it is. Could, could I could I explain this? <laughs> yes. yes. Or, is, go ahead. or go if ahead. you guys want me to shut up, I'll no, shut go up. Ahead. Please go Please ahead. Explain. I think it might be because I think that it happened so far after the other ones mm-hmm. that like Nazi's face is melted in <laughs> in them. Like crazy stuff happens. And I think people like forgot that and like don't didn't remember it accurately enough of like yeah insane things happen yeah monkeys don't maybe don't don't do that yeah but, but like <laughs> but like yeah. singular insane things happened yeah versus like magnitude or yeah. like things yeah. that are an order of magnitude larger i think i don't that's- know what you're talking about <laughs> the ants the monkeys yeah the fridge the everything uh that's the places in between places or the time in between time what does he say i, I will i will say this if you agree with kevin and you can write about a one paragraph <laughs> explanation of why Kingdom of the Crystal Skull was misunderstood. Email us at hello at warstartsatmidnight.com and we will read it on the next episode. Yes, please. Yeah, I'd, I would love to hear people who could actually back this up more than uh, my ramblings. All right, folks, stick around for really rad recommendations coming up next.
guys it's really rad recommendation time once again um i'm gonna let you start kevin what do you have to recommend is it a is it a terrible sequel (laughs) no it's a an amazing sequel i'm going to recommend mad max 2 the road warrior i love this movie so much it is possibly my favorite movie of all time really yeah um more than fury road yes (sighs) i think so yeah i think more than fury road Although I I really like Fury Road, but since we're talking about sequels, um, yeah, I just I loved it so much. I saw this movie before I ever saw Mad Max, mm-hmm. and like uh, in the U.S., it was only billed as uh, the Road Warrior for the longest time. Right. So like I didn't even know that this was a sequel, hmm. and it summed up the entire first movie in the first right. like thirty seconds or like few minutes. Yeah. And I. I think the story is so good. The acting is great. It's just like... The scope is really good. Yeah. It doesn't like... You understand the world so well. Mm-hmm. And like there's not a lull in it. It just starts and it just goes. Right. And yet you pick up all these other... You pick up so much information just the entire time. Mm-hmm. And it's like only like 90 minutes long. So I think it's like just a great length and the fact like there's no there's no cgi i'm not against cgi but it's like everything you you can see all this stuff is actually blowing up Mm -hmm. and yeah i just think it's i i just love that movie so very much so yeah that is my recommendation with all the talk of fury road out there if you haven't watched the road warrior go out watch road warrior and i haven't so put it on my war list Oh my gosh, we we need we need to do a Road Warrior War Crime at some point in the future. I can't believe you haven't seen this. It's I'm I'm really looking forward to this discussion. Yeah. Um, And and Mad Max 2, the Road Warrior is currently available to stream basically everywhere. Okay. Jake, what do you have to recommend? So uh since we watched The Godfather Part Two, uh I just wanted to say, have you ever wished that The Godfather and Once Upon a Time in the West had a baby? And do you love movies that are three hours and 40-ish minutes long? Uh, because if so, you're going to love Sergio Leone's Once Upon a Time in America. Uh, have any of you seen it? Oh, yeah. No, not at all. Okay, it is it is very good. It's also, uh, it's Robert De Niro, James Woods, Joe Pesci, and it's from the 80s, I think maybe 82. 84. And it's 84? Uh, yeah. Great year. <laughs> great, great year for movies. Uh, no, but it's it's very good, and it... Thematically, it feels a lot like The Godfather, but not in like a ripoff kind of way. Uh, it's the story. It kind of it kind of jumps forward and backwards in time. I think it may start at the end and go back to like the twenties, so it's sort of the same time period. And uh, it's it's very good. It's acted really well, and I'm a big Sergio Leone fan. So I think if you do like um, the Good, Bad, and the Ugly, and Once Upon a Time in the West, this is a must see. And also, if you just like The Godfather, this is a must see as well. No, it's great. And Kevin, you were lamenting, you know, like, 
what what happens to the the epic uh this is this is an epic that i you need to see all right it's it's pretty great james woods is great the, the whole cast is great fabulous and, and if you if you do what i did and decide to watch it on a plane to italy just beware you're going to want to skip some uh graphic scene in the middle that is going to make you dislike james woods as a, a person lot. yeah oh, okay yeah yeah it, it did to james woods for me what uh requiem for a dream did to keith david for me so uh. if if that makes sense to you, <laughs> then it does. If it doesn't, it doesn't. Yeah. Wait, it's not a documentary all of a sudden in the middle of it, no. right? No. Okay. No. Like James Woods actually did all this stuff. No, <laughs> he's just one of those. He's just one of those actors that uh, when you do something horrific enough on screen, sometimes it scars that face oh. in your brain. Yeah. Uh. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. J- Jake, where can we watch this? It's available to rent at Vudu and Amazon and available to purchase elsewhere, or you can always check it out from your local public library, mm-hmm. as I tend to do with movies. Very good. So, Chris, what, uh, what do you have to recommend? Okay, I've got, I, I would like to reiterate from previously in, in the week, I recommended They Live, the John, John Carpenter movie. It is still playing at Circle Cinema. If you are listening to this the day it drops, um, Friday, November 4th, Saturday, November 5th. Um, so... Go check it out on the big screen. It's it's going to be fun. And then I'd also like to recommend uh, The Life and Death of Colonel Blimp is playing at the Alamo Drafthouse in Denver on November 9th. I I legitimately wish I could I could drive out there or fly out there just to see this movie. I like I am envious of anyone who gets the chance to watch this on a big screen. It's going to be glorious. I wish I could be there. And uh, Chris, uh, have you have you ever checked out flights on uh well, they may not fly out of Tulsa, but flyfrontier.com has extremely cheap flights to Denver all the time. My wife's uh, going to hate you. She's really going to hate you. <laughs> I I'm I'm going to look into this like right when we get off. Does so, Legion go there? I, I, I'll, I'll meet you I up there, know. Chris. Legion, check them out. Okay. Well, well, I'll I'll check it out and then I'll I'll make Liz pretty <laughs> pretty upset. Um <laughs> but my my like real honest recommendation is not a movie this time. It's actually an act of this American life of an episode of this American life. And it's called not Stella Adler, just Stella. And, uh, it comes from an episode called ask an expert. And this guy recounts the time that he shot a series of acting videos for Marlon Brando, which my understanding, and this is like late in life, Marlon Brando. Um, my understanding is that, is that these have never like seen the light of day. Um, but he describes some of the stuff that goes on. Like there's a very young Leonardo DiCaprio in, uh, in these, like, it's basically Marlon Brando teaching a bunch of actors how to act by not really teaching actors how to, you know, like mm-hmm. Brando's infamously sort of lazy and it feels like that kind of carries over here. Um, but with, you know, with talking about the Godfather part two, I figured minimal or not minimal, their connection to Godfather part one. Uh, I, I went back and re-listened to this for the first time in, in several years. And it, it's great. The, the guy throughout does a pretty good Brando impersonation, um, putting words in his mouth that he may or may not have said, but, um, <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, it's fun. Definitely check it out. It's probably a good, I mean, it's only like 14 minutes or so. So a quick, easy listen. Ah, all right. And that is a wrap for another episode of War Starts at Midnight. Find us online at warstartsmidnight.com for show notes, weekly Midnight Warrior Fantasy Movie League recaps, and more. Or say hi to us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at WSAMPod. Kevin, do you have a, any social meteors that you want to plug? I've never once plugged myself on social media. <laughs> I, that, I've, no one has ever asked. He plugs himself in private. 
<laughs> no, that's so funny. Uh, yeah, I'm on Instagram. What, what, what's your handle on Instagram? Uh, Kevin C. Kissling. All right. Check him out. If you enjoy the show, rate and subscribe to it in iTunes or wherever you get the podcast. It'll help us grow the Midnight Warrior Clan, and it'll make you feel awesome. On the other hand, if you're the trolling type who's just hate listening through these credits, go ahead and tell us everything we got wrong at hello at warstartsmidnight.com. Or if you're a narcissist, you can leave us a voicemail and see if we play it. Just ring that bright red telephone at 484-424-6362. And shout out to Sports for the music on this week's show. Find music and tour dates at sportsbandok.com. Join us another fortnight for our review of Denis Villeneuve's latest film starring Amy Adams and Jeremy Renner, Arrival. Thanks for listening, folks. Michael Corleone says hello. Thanks, guys. Have I told the story about why I hate Kingdom of the Crystal Skull? Like, why I have a personal vendetta against it? No. Do you know? Okay. If you did, it was with Hunter. Um, well, I, I, I feel like I was telling someone recently and it would have been as recently as you've, you've come on. So it must've just been like in conversation at work or something. But so I saw kingdom of the crystal skull with a friend, Mark Wright, and we left the movie and we were like, that was terrible. We need something to pick us up. Let's get pizza. <laughs> so we went and got pizza and pizza was fine. It wasn't great, but it was so fine. So you never ate pizza after that pizza? <laughs> right. It ruined pizza for me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, but I, the pizza was a little hot. And so like, if, if I get like, you know, a hot, this, this is probably travesty to some, but if I, you mm-hmm. know, if there's a really hot piece of pizza, instead of picking it up, you know, the first few bites, I'll eat it with a knife and fork. Yeah. And um, I were like just going off back and forth about, the worst parts of this movie, the most asinine parts of this movie. You know, th- these are fresh mm-hmm. wounds and I'm so mad and expressive. Like I take a bite of the pizza and I chip my tooth on the fork. Seriously. Oh, God. Yeah. And I still have, like, I can feel oh. the little divot. Ugh. That's horrible. Mm-hmm. That's horrible. Yeah. So like every time I like feel it, I'm like King of Crystal Skull. Wow. That's amazing. <laughs> That's going to haunt you forever. Yeah. Are you ready for number five? Oh, gosh. I don't know. I yeah. don't. We don't need it. Like, here's the thing, no, though. Indiana Jones it. is pretty, like, open and versatile. Give it to us. So, like, I'm not saying that you can't make another good Indiana Jones movie. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying. I'm just saying, if you're going to make an Indiana Jones movie, give it to Alden Ehrenreich, and then remake Blade Runner, and give it to Alden Ehrenreich, and then <laughs> give all... The Harrison Ford rolls to Alden Ehrenreich. <laughs> okay.